Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can, I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. Today's film stars Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, and Michael Douglas, and it's Ant-Man. Imagine a soldier the size of an insect. The ultimate secret weapon. If you give godlike powers to everyone, it's going to be chaos. So how do we stop him? I know a guy. Scott, I've been watching you for a while. You're different. And I believe everyone deserves a shot at redemption. Do you? Absolutely. My days of breaking into places and stealing stuff are over. What do you want me to do? I want you to break into a place and steal some stuff. Makes sense. Are you ready to become a hero? The latest offering from Marvel Lloyd. Uh, Spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen Ant-Man. It's out now on DVD and Blu-ray in Australia. And I'm sure everywhere, worldwide. Uh, Marvel has this habit of releasing things worldwide. It's the latest offering in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it's one of those unknown quantities, you know, when um, pretty much Ant-Man's not canon, I suppose. He's not the Hulk. He's not Captain America. He's not... One of those ones you can put in a lunchbox straight away and, and sell lunchboxes, you know. It's it's a question of whether or not he will succeed, I suppose. And Guardians of the Galaxy was the other one. Marvel seems to do no wrong. <laughs> and it's a real worry for DC. <laughs> what did you think? Uh, well, I wish I saw this in 3D. Like, the effects in the film look brilliant. The days of the incredible shrinking man, honey, I shrunk the kids, like a really amplified in this modern age of special effects. Um, the ants and the world of Ant-Man look really great. Uh, I've always been fascinated with ants and I love bees. So I love seeing um, them and the hero like work, work together. And I loved how it characterized one of the ants, like Anthony, and then it dies, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but the big thing about the special effects for me was some of the invisible effects. Well, not really invisible, but when they made Michael Douglas younger at the beginning scenes, yep. that looked amazing. And he even moved like a young man as well. How he grabs a guy's head and, you know, pushes it to the into the... Um, uh, oh. table you know makes his nose bleed by the way that's uh, Martin Donovan in the film he, he as the bad guy for Hydra I guess he played a significant role with Michael Douglas in one of my personal little favourite uh, movies The Sentinel with Kiefer Sutherland I don't know if you saw that or... I didn't see it oh, and I, yeah. I was going to say um, he was aged young in this I mean the CGI is fantastic I think he was in S.H.I.E.L.D. I think they were all in S.H.I.E.L.D. not Hydra at the beginning Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, S.H.I.E.L.D. But I think he works for Hydra. Okay. At the end, when it was revealed, when they're all going, oh, yeah, we're going to sell this off to Hydra for the Yellow Jacket serum. Right. I thought they were kind of like a terrorist organization at the end. It was really unclear (laughs) who who they were going to sell the the technology to. But it's not important. Someone will correct us. (laughs) I saw the trailer for Ant-Man, you know, mid-2015, I suppose, you know, before it came out and um on one of the inevitable films we reviewed and when i saw the trailer for ant-man i thought i felt like i'd seen the film it was one of those trailers that revealed a lot of information uh i sort of visually remembered so many of the shots which might mean they're they're iconic but it also might mean that like that's a problem for me when i see a trailer and when I sort of go, oh man, now I'm waiting for the Thomas the Tank Engine bit. I'm waiting for the bit where he runs with all the ants. And I'm waiting for, you know, various kind of little sequences. Sort of just checking them off in my head. I've, I've purposefully been avoiding trailers lately. I haven't watched the Hateful Eight trailer, you know, prior to watching the film. And there's, there's kind of a vibe to me that trailers these days are ruining things. Yeah, the only trailer recently that I've been really impressed with is The Force Awakens, okay. where it didn't give away too much of the plot or anything like that. There's one of the to speculate. Exactly. Yeah. The, one of the worst trailers I've ever seen was for the Wolverine movie, where it gave away the entire plot. Like I'm, I'm like, great, I know he fights some samurai robot at the end of the movie. <laughs> it gave away everything. 
But I mean, the Ant-Man trailer tells you he's going to fight the yellow jacket suit thing, uh, which you sort of have figured out who's in it, which is Darren Cross at the time. You know, there was a time like I was watching an old movie because on our YouTube channel, we do um, obscure films with famous people in them. And there's a link to that on our website. If you look at some of those, they're from, you know, 80s and early 90s. And a lot of those have trailers at the head of them. So I'll watch those trailers and there's ones, not even kidding, here's the trailer. It's like, uh, this film is about love and lust and passion and romance, starring this person and that person, coming this summer, name of movie. It's like 45 seconds, a few shots from the movie, you see them answering a phone or paddling in a boat or whatever it is, and you don't know anything about that film. And then the trailers these days are just so much because they want to get you in the door. They're like, check out this joke. This bit's funny. You'll enjoy this. You enjoy this bit. I want to say you're right, but I thought the same thing. But I saw a lot of old trailers thinking that, oh, let's see how they're all done um, in the old ways. Yeah. They, were, they gave away the... Some trailers gave away the entire movie, like Bullet, one of my favorite Steve Queen movies. It's like they had no idea how to market <laughs> movies back then, which they didn't. They didn't figure out marketing to really... They didn't get it down to really mid to late 80s hmm. uh, marketing. And they were still toying with certain and stuff. now they've got it down to a science I guess with all their suit men ticking off all the right boxes and everything as you said before um, but yeah trailers like especially Ghostbusters you should go back and check that that trailer they just say the whole plot <laughs> uh, there are always exceptions unfortunately yeah. I've just seen some lately that I haven't known what the film is about and that's been intriguing to me they even do cut things from the trailer though I remember we saw Anchorman 2 and uh, there were lots of lines from the trailer which weren't necessarily in the, movie. in the film. And there was like, you know, a whole nother version of Anchorman 2 that had all the alternate jokes that they did. Black Hat had that as well, where it introduced what the character, okay, this hack is coming out. And it was nothing like that mm. in the movie. You were like, Ugh. And as well, there were bits in Ant-Man that weren't in the film that were in the trailer. I didn't notice. When Michael Douglas, I know this is a horribly photographic memory of trailers I have, Michael Douglas, uh, you know, propositions him to work for him and um, Scott Lang's, uh, Ant-Man says, um, you know, my days of breaking into places and stealing shit are done. And what do you want me to do? And he goes, I want you to break into a place and steal some shit. And in the trailer, I think he says, uh, makes sense. So, you know, there's like a little more, you know, yeah, well, that, that sounds about right. You know, like what else is my skill set? They cut that. And right after the, I want you to break in and steal shit, it cuts. And I was still anticipating the next part of that. Oh, wow. Exchange. From my memory, I'm thinking, no, that definitely was in the movie. No, but if you're saying, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Look, um, this was directed by Peyton Reed, uh, who directed such films as Yes Man, comedy, Bring It On, comedy, and uh, The Breakup. I could argue that's not a comedy. <laughs> it's uh, more dramatic. He was brought in after Edgar Wright was um, yeah. left the project due to creative differences. I heard that uh, Joss Whedon said he read the original script for Ant-Man that, that um, Edgar Wright was going to make and he said it's the best script Marvel has ever had. Um, you got to make this movie and mm. I guess creative differences. They wanted to implement a lot more from the Marvel universe into the script which Edgar Wright didn't want to do yeah. and then he left the project. You can still see a lot of his temperament throughout the whole film so much so they gave him writer's credit producer's credit um so they still you know respected him yeah. enough to at least put his name in the credits yeah i mean he writes a good script let's be honest i mean people love Shaun of the dead and and his previous work so it makes sense for him to be attached but marvel is a big machine and uh whereas maybe at the beginning you could introduce a character and not nod to anything else people now want to see things in the credits you know they want to see cross promotion of characters we've seen on the um batman vs superman trailer you know wonder woman pops in now and she blocks a you know blast which gives away all the tension is batman and superman gonna fight each other you know they're gonna <laughs> well fight obviously each other. they're gonna team up now like now of i course. know that though of course but i I, at least I was assuming that the, the whole movie was going to be them fighting each other to the no, death. No, no. Of course it wasn't. It's called Dawn of Justice. The Dawn of the Justice League. This is that was the a beginning. bad trailer. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bat trailer. <laughs> you know the scene uh, where the video of the yellow jacket um, suit, like he plays it for the bad guys as like an advertisement? Well, not to the bad guys, obviously, because Michael Douglas is there. And he plays a video like it's a short film of what the yellow jacket yeah, could possibly do. Yeah, it shows do. the shrinking army of yellow Didn't jackets. Didn't that remind you of the Rocketeer? A little bit. 
<laughs> where they played like um, where Howard Hughes plays a video of what the Nazis could have done um, had they had the rocket yep. um, the main villain Darren Cross who's played by House of Cards is Corey Stahl if I'm pronouncing his name correctly Corey Stahl maybe? Corey Stahl uh, he was great um, he just comes across as a typical villain I think he has a great presence but the character just seems like Jeff Bridges from Iron Man like he's this corporate guy that's yeah. main. You know, like, I like that scene where one person doesn't like, or I guess he's pretty high up, he doesn't like where he's taken the yellow jacket, and so in the bathroom he shoots him with some powerful gun, turning him into a little bit of goo, and then he flushes the, down the toilet. There's just some insanity, and it was a really dark scene, just like, jeez Louise, human life reduced to just that little puddle. But he was trying to shrink him then. I assumed that was oh, the okay, shrinking yeah. ray. Like he was testing it on a human That's subject. right. And that's what they did. And they had the goat yeah. later and everything like that. That's true. Yeah. yeah so but it was just so... It um, was brutal. Yeah, it was very brutal. Flushing and there him. is an implication that they're saying the serum is making him a bit crazy. That's why he's doing the things that he's doing. But we didn't really flesh that out. Yeah, I didn't understand that. But I thought he only put on the suit once and that was towards the end. But I, I don't know. He... I thought he did play a very good villain. He just had a great presence to him. He has this something about his physicality. Just mm. seems like, wow, that guy seems really powerful. And th- you know he was off the rails. Mm. Like, he got that impression. But I'm just disappointed the villain was just seemed so generic. Like, I thought I loved Iron Man, but the weakest part of Iron Man for me. And I love Jeff Bridges. He looked great, but was Jeff Bridges. At the end, he just fights a corporate, you know, guy at the end. To be honest, this film has a lot of nods like Iron Man. Man gets in suit has ability has no particular ability except intelligence before he gets and the the fun is his training to get to get to know the suit and everything like that so i suppose like uh this reminded me of iron man a lot I, i did think about how you know it is just a man in a suit ultimately and then that makes me think about how you can replace iron man you can put someone else in the suit you know war machine don Cheadle character can or even Terence Howard, if we're talking about him. Someone else can take the mantle of Iron Man. Someone else can take the mantle of Ant-Man. And, uh, you know, the power is the suit, pretty much. The whole the whole movie, you've got Evangeline Lilly's character, Hope, who's Hank Pym's daughter. And she is 100% capable of wearing the suit and doing the mission. That He just doesn't want to put her in danger. I found that incredibly frustrating. <laughs> For me, I was like, wow, women in film, they need to, like, uh, you know, we're promoting women in film, basically. Furiosa in Mad Max Fury Road. People praised that and absolutely should have. And, like, you know, women are getting paid the same in film. Uh, They're demanding, you know, exact same sort of paychecks as their male counterparts. You know, uh, Jennifer Lawrence uh, was highlighted as an example in American Hustle and stuff. In terms of screen time, apparently Evangeline Lilly's character was beefed up. And given more to do and part of that no doubt was setting up for the very end when she gets the wasp costume and the ant-man and the wasp is the name of the sequel so she's titled in the sequel as well but i found it so frustrating that she's 100 percent capable of doing this and they're just saying no and i know it's a protective thing i know but it just a little bit if it seemed sexist or something there was like an old-fashionedness to michael douglas saying no that just i just rubbed me the wrong way as I watched the film. And I, I didn't dislike this movie. I just thought it, parts of it were disorganised or, like, maybe that the script had been changed too much from Edgar Wright's original. It'd be really interesting to do a comparison with the two of them. The haircut. they got to do something about the haircut of Angelina... Of Angelina Lily. Um, I can see what they were going for. Uh, that familiar comic book sort of iconic look. But it, I don't think she was comfortable with it. <laughs> she, it was so distracting. So if they're going to go with a sequel, they got to fix that right away. First thing's got to go is that haircut, Dave. <laughs> I, uh, I had an ex-girlfriend who had, like, long hair, ponytail, you know, would sort of just wear it long. Um, and then I went and met up with her one day in the city. And, um, you know, we were exes, but we were still friendly. Uh, so we were meeting up, you know, for a catch-up or whatever. And uh, when I saw her, she had that hairstyle the exact Evangeline Lilly Ant-Man hairstyle. And the reason that she'd done it, I believe, was to be taken seriously in her corporate job. So it was like a very radical shift in look, I suppose, because it says something in the corporate world. Evangeline Lilly's character, having that haircut, 
she seemed to be treated as an equal. That's a very good point. In the corporate world. And, and it helped her get to that point. I suppose so. I mean, she was on the board probably because... She of was the haircut. <laughs> she was Hank Pym's daughter, but as well, she had that haircut. And she got to cast the deciding vote that kicked him out initially. Um, it was interesting. Uh, the haircut wasn't as distracting for me, I suppose. I haven't seen her in The Hobbit. I have, have not watched The Hobbit. I'm not in a rush to see The Hobbit, but I know her from Lost and, I mean, Real Steel and sort of seen the ponytail and the, you know, Kate Austin from Lost business, but you're just trying to be iconic, I suppose, and there is something comic book about it. So uh, the implication from the suit is that she has the ability to fly? Well, the Wasp, when you see the flashback of uh, Hank Pym and Janet is his wife or girlfriend, partner, I don't know what their relationship was in the movie... Uh, she has the wings. She can fly. There's a wasp costume, pretty much. So I suppose they complement each other. Like maybe one flies, the other's carried. Having Anthony in this film and that bullet that kills Anthony, that's a hell of a shot. Like an unlucky, unfortunate type shot. You know, having like an ability to fly was like a good kind of sidekick partner. You've lost that in this a little bit. Having Anthony die. Um, that brings it back, bringing her in. And you sort of got to see probably a preview of what it's going to be like with the Michael Douglas flashback. You know, the two of them there. Um, I guess it will be good, having two of them. Uh, I just want to say, it's great seeing a comic book movie where the city isn't at stake. It's pretty much a heist movie, like, with a big showdown at the yeah. end. Ocean's Eleven style. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And and I think the filmmakers had fun with the world, and that's obviously referenced in, like, the, you know, the Thomas the Tank Engine scene, how he keeps cutting back long, and you're just seeing how small <laughs> the battle scenes were. Mm. It was a bit jarring, I think, at, at times, but it was really fun. Like, I just bursted out laughing every time they did it, when they're fighting in the little suitcase and he says I'm going to destroy you or something like that and then a song plays Siri plays starts playing a song and then they're fighting to that song I thought it was fantastic (laughs) yeah that was neat wish the train stuff hadn't been in the trailer because I was waiting to see who owned a train set and it's you know his his daughter's train set (laughs) and it's great that a showdown is just in a little house Mm. really the ultimate big showdown just in a little house we're seeing almost every single Marvel movie just these big cities at stake some comet some missile is headed to the city it's just great seeing just scaled down to a little heist movie the the only big thing about it was the whole building blows up just like you know bigger than Terminator 2 where in Terminator 2 they sit fire they blow up Sky, um, Cyberdyne Cyberdyne um, and in this one obviously they blow up the main um, infrastructure where he's creating the suit you know mm. and that's all his work gone so he puts on the yellow jacket in vengeance you know that was really cool they didn't really blow it up it sort of imploded imploded does that uh, yeah I'm confused by it yeah. because he plants C4 explosives but it all it's as if it was like a massive shrink or something like it all shrunk. yeah I got confused with that part as well none of the ants got hurt right they all got out in time I don't know <laughs> And uh, no ants were harmed in the making of this film. I like it during the trading sequence when he's running with the ants and all the ants comes and he freaks out. He goes, oh, and he grows big again. And he goes, oh, it was a lot scarier three minutes ago. <laughs> you know, a, a few, few seconds, seconds ago. A few seconds ago. But yeah. I'm just thinking, didn't all those ants just die right then and there? Like, are they You're all dead now? Yeah, or just thrown like... off him rapidly, maybe, yeah, as he expanded. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess. I was thinking this is kind of like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids meets Mission Impossible. Oh, that's good. Because, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of that going down, kind of propelling. And I loved Honey, I Shrunk the Kids when I was young. And Mission Impossible. Well, <laughs> then this played to all your strengths. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, I really enjoyed the film. Like I said, it was a little bit uneven. It did feel like they sort of sewed the Falcon in there. Um, oh yeah and it's such a pity I feel so sorry for him because he is he's fantastic in Winter Soldier yeah. but it's just like you know out of all the Avengers you just don't want to see him like as a representative of the Avengers in this movie I would have loved to have seen Iron Man uh, sorry uh, Captain America sure in there that would have been great but you know <laughs> I mean they have that to that was the shoehorn scene yeah because <laughs> yeah. they kind of they have to have the Falcon beaten by him to prove how good Ant-Man is. Like, if you have the Falcon defeat Ant-Man in Ant-Man's premiere movie, like, you're introducing the character of Ant-Man. It's about him. In wrestling terms, having a couple of guys go in the ring, you want one guy to look strong, you want him to win the match. You know what I mean? 
uh, they have new tough guys come in and beat nobodies in 10 seconds or knock them out and everyone's like whoa that guy's so strong you know rather than imagine if they went in and lost you know this is exactly that it's all for show they've brought in the falcon they've had him drop the belt or like lose if you will to uh, ant-man so ant-man looks like the big hero pardon the pun <laughs> and then at the end i mean that's leads into our ending where falcon is looking for him to get him to join the avengers ant-man was one of the original avengers and therefore you're going to always attach him to the avengers he has to become an avenger at some point and with avengers um infinity war part one part two coming up he's going to feature he's also featuring in um civil war paul rudd is in the marvel universe now as ant-man can we talk about paul rudd what do you think it's hard not to see him as a comedic actor which i think works because there's a lot of jokes in where he ruins the moment you know where he's sort of it's fun at this stage it's hard to see him as dramatic now if they go in a direction where um like iron man he starts getting affected by the shrinking and unshrinking hank pym said it took a toll on him at some point we have to see a toll get taken on scott lang so if we start to see a dramatic turn where he's like ptsd like affected somehow by the shrinking and unshrinking it's going to be more difficult to take him seriously as an actor because he's fun and funny but hasn't really proven himself in serious roles he, if physically he looked great sure um those moments where you see him shirtless he did a great job he got um, in shape yeah he got in shape really well prepared um for this movie physically he's great um i think all the action sequences if that's him in the suit um he looked amazing and um the mask in itself is an interesting design because it completely hides the face of the person and in iron man we always have those shots of that of inside the suit inside helmet yeah the inside helmet cam we didn't get any of that um in ant-man so that's a pretty interesting strategy the director didn't go um in because you can't see you know it's almost like darth vader darth vader did uh, was one of the great designs and he's the most emotional character in cinema yet you don't see his facial expressions you know so um it's a you can pull it off and i don't think that will change in any sequels I don't think we'll start to see inside a helmet. I think that's become an Iron Man trait. Iron Man trait, yeah, I, I, I agree. But, um, yeah, uh, I th- so I think um, Paul Rudd has done a very good job. He's got a comedic um, card to his deck, and he can play that um, at will. But the, I, th- I feel like his comedy isn't like um, quick, fast li- one-liners. Like, it's almost like a the whole scene or set has to be built around the punchline or the joke and in this movie the best scenes for me were taken uh, the funniest scenes for me were taken by um michael penner um i Pena? thought Pena, Pena. maybe uh i, I thought every time he brought up oh, i know this guy and we're going into that story mode yeah. it was fantastic yeah. it was absolutely great with the, the whole film and yeah i think that's where uh, these moments made me smile so much in the film just like, oh wow that's great <laughs> everything you knew he was gonna whistle when he was the security guard he's like, i'm gonna whistle make it more natural and you knew he was gonna whistle um, and I like it how he's running out of the building. Oh, the guard. And he has to come back and pull the guard. He's knocked out. <laughs> We're the good guys, right? You know, everything he said <laughs> was comedic. And because Paul Rudd's a funny guy, to have an even funnier guy stealing the scenes was really fun. That was great, yeah. He, he's also in 30 Minutes or Less, and he plays a very funny um, small part in that as well. Was so. he in um, The Martian? Uh, yeah, he, yeah was, he was. Um, in the, he was the driver, wasn't he? He was yeah, the he was, buddy. He was great in that, yeah. yeah he's, he's doing a lot of great work lately. Yeah. Um, Judy Greer, who played uh, Scott Lang. How's she getting work? It's oh, crazy. She's in everything. I, I, I hate being negative, <laughs> but she's so distracting to me. <laughs> she plays the same role in every movie. Yeah, she does. There's no change to her look. She's doing the same thing. Just crying. Just a crying lady complaining. Or, or a mother. I think she's got the most annoying character, though. She has to play in every movie. So I was like, what? This was supposed to be a family day. You know, from Jurassic World, which is the worst part of that movie. Well, one of the worst parts. <laughs> I <laughs> like Jurassic World. Dinosaur, Go back and check out that um, podcast. If you see a dinosaur, run. <laughs> that stuff. I thought it was interesting this film was rated PG. Because, I mean, you've got the guy turning people into mush. And I was thinking, you know, it's... PG is a pretty tame superhero movie. I'm not sure we've seen a Marvel film that is PG. I remember them all being at least M. 
Um, I'm getting confused now because of the um, American and the Australian ratings. Because I buy all my Blu-rays from America and they mm. don't have the rating sticker like we have. Yeah, yeah. so I'm just like, oh, was that PG? Yeah, it was, it was PG. <laughs> yeah, right. I thought it was pretty tame. Besides Anthony's death. I mean, he's an, a- an ant, so... I like it when he first turns into the ant and he's in the bathtub and the water's all splashing and the guy's going to the toilet. He goes, oh, I don't need to see this. And then he falls through the cracks. He's in the disco, um, the dance rave scene. It's crazy that they live above like a dance (laughs) thing and you can't even hear it. Like there's a dance club directly below them. Can't hear it. I thought that was odd. That's all I could think in that scene. But how great did that look? It looked great. The special effects, like sure. what you could do nowadays, is just amazing. And I love The Incredible Shrinking Man. I love Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And those movies took me in a different world when I saw them. But um, Ant-Man and stuff is just in that vein, using modern technology. And it looks great. It really brought me into that world, yeah. There's a bunch of stuff online. I don't want to get into it. I just want to mention it. People are saying that when you become an ant you have the same mass and strength and whatever and that that wouldn't work for the tank that michael douglas's character's carrying in his pocket that it should be as heavy as a tank i don't know about that i'm not going to get into it i'm not a scientist i'm not looking into the mass of this this is i'm watching this for a popcorn movie and i can't sort of sit there and question that there were some things i could question <laughs> as i watched the film uh the serum i don't understand like the PIM particle serum stuff. Maybe you understand it. I've only seen it recently, Lloyd. I've got no idea, mate. <laughs> when uh, Darren Cross is trying to shrink the sheep, he gets all those vials of uh, yellow liquid and they all kind of go down into the machine as if he's using them, right? He's using all of them. Uh, the liquid, I suppose, is it's working however it works to shrink. Now, there's a tiny amount of working red liquid that goes into the Ant-Man costume. It's in a little vial. Why doesn't the vial shrink? It's holding the shrinking stuff. The vial should should shrink. Doesn't matter. We'll keep going. The vial is full of this liquid. It goes into the suit. It's acting as like the fuel for shrinking and unshrinking with the suit. I'm confused because like Spider-Man's webbing, I'm thinking like it should be able to run out. Because it's like a pack that Peter Parker like puts into his wrist or whatever into the web shooter and it runs out and he's in midair and he's like, oh no, I've got no more webs and he's got to improvise. I felt like he should have had like 15 shrinks and unshrinks or whatever, 10, there's a limit. I'm running low. Yeah. There should have been like a, oh no, I can only do this, you know. It was non-stop. It was unlimited. I remember um, it, reading old school Iron Man books back in the day, comic books when I was really young. The story was always his suit failing him. Oh no, my circuitry is damaged, you know, and he's trying to hold out and bluff until the circuitry is fixed and then he's won the day. And that's absolutely right. Introducing that vile element would introduce, like, uh, another factor to his issues that he has to overcome, which is, you know, it's limited what he can do. As well, the, um, his belt, it has the the regulator and they talk about, you know, going subatomic and the fact that his regulator can't be tampered with and that he's looking at it during the montage. Now, if you've got something that can't be tampered with, do you put it on your belt at the front? <laughs> I feel like that should be coated in titanium and protected somehow. <laughs> because that one thing, like you punch it, it's like, oh, I'm going subatomic and I'm never coming back. You know what I mean? That's a great point. I didn't think I, of that. I thought that's a massive flaw with that suit. Like put it inside the helmet or something, you know, so no one can hit it with a punch. Because they easily could have. I could hit it, ruin it, that regulator's fucked, and then that's the end. <laughs> I, I like it when he's fighting a war machine, and he, and he doesn't move. Falcon? The Falcon, sorry, <laughs> war machine. The Falcon, and um, he doesn't move because Donnie can't see me, and he goes, I can see you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he can't see me. And I liked how he was like, hi, I'm Scott. <laughs> like, immediately... <laughs> Great to well, meet you. That's interesting. It's the only... That's the first character that we have mm. of the Marvel Universe that's saying sorry after he punches people. After he knocks it out. He is a thief, yep. but he's a really good guy. You know, he, when he stole stuff, he was he was like Robin Hood. He was, yeah. a, you know, like... Or, or um, Nick Hathaway in uh, Black Hat. He was only stealing, you know, from the majors, you know, that people that were probably stealing from other people to begin with. And he exposes a corrupt corporation. He returns millions of dollars to the people who got scammed out of it, you know, and uh, he goes to jail for it. Like, 
He's a people's champion of sorts. Yeah, and he's doing this all for his daughter. Um, primarily, uh, you know, that, that that was a bit too spoon-fed. I, I didn't feel they needed that little backstory there, maybe, but it, it forced his hand in a lot of dramatic moments. I mean, as soon as I knew he had a daughter, you know that he has a weakness, and you feel like at some point his That's enemies gonna be exploited. will exploit that weakness. It's like how Spider-Man doesn't tell people he's Peter Parker because Aunt May and Mary Jane will be in danger. You know, in this... I feel like his daughter is going to be in danger as long as they know it's him. I was frustrated by Bobby Carnavale's police officer and the other police officers in general made police look really terrible. But it was funny because during the heist, they're like, we're going to arrest you guys in the van. They don't handcuff them or anything. Then there's like something else going on. They run over to deal with that. They're just running, yeah, yeah. running to and, and they, they just get up. They just look at each other. They just get up and run. Yeah. <laughs> the criminals. And they get their car stolen and things like that. I wanted to see more of that team. The, the heist team? The heist team. Sure. Yeah, a little bit more of that. The Russian dude, he was funny. You know, yeah. the African-American guy was funny and the Latin. They really, you know, hit all um, market audiences there. <laughs> yeah, they, they were a fun little team of criminals. Um, and the heist movie elements really made this a lot of fun. You're rooting for them, basically. Even though what they're trying to do is evade the law uh, and commit terrorist style acts by imploding a multi-billion dollar company you know whether or not they're sort of you know the ending is unclear to me because the yellow suited guy i mean this was sort of all of a blur maybe you can clear it up he goes subatomic at the end he mucks with the regulator he goes very small he shrinks into the back of the suit goes between the molecules or whatever he still sort of has the ability to ruin the suit as he's shrinking. Does that make sense? Yeah. I guess his time is really fractured at that point. Right. But even then, like, he hits it a bunch of times. And then the bad guy's suit's like, like the building, disappears into nothing. I'm not really clear... What happened to Yellow Jacket? Is he still alive? Was the regulator in the back of his suit and therefore he, like, destroyed his regulator? I'm not sure. And therefore he also went subatomic? Yeah, you're telling me this now and I've completely forgot about that. Yeah, how he disappeared. I I thought, geez. No, he didn't get locked up, did he? (laughs) No, no, he just disappeared. He just disappeared. Wow, okay. And I, I wasn't really sure what had happened to him... Somebody uh, on IMDb agreed. They wrote, uh, so at the end of the film, he turns his regulator so to squeeze between the molecules, but it is still clearly still big enough to destroy the circuitry when he's inside that guy. Did I miss something? Uh, but I was more confused with why the other guy disappeared because I'm guessing his regulator, the suit's regulation was in the back rather than at the belt. The design was a bit better. And uh, long story short, he went subatomic. They both went subatomic at the same time. They should have been in that scene going subatomic together, though, which they weren't, which makes it more confusing. Oh, jeez. Then also I'm frustrated by the fact that he can use that disc to get big again and put that in his regulator and then get back to normal, which was great. You know, it's always going to happen. He's always going to find a way. But he then didn't remember it. And I don't know if he didn't remember it because he didn't remember it or if he just didn't want to tell Hank... But because Janet, he might go looking for Janet. He was protecting him. I'm not really sure there. Like, because he played it like, I don't remember. Like, I really don't remember. I was subatomic. You know, but it's like a very conscious move to take this disc and put it in your belt and close the belt and then try it. Like Maybe he lost his memory from... Going big. Yeah, from that point. I don't know. I kept thinking, like, of practical uses for these discs and suits and stuff. And I was thinking, like garbage island you could shrink all the garbage on the planet and like get rid of the garbage problem of the world i was thinking you could shrink food and shipping containers and things and transport things really easily like you could ship the contents of your home or your home shrink it into your car drive it put it somewhere unshrink it you've moved your entire house yeah you know i was thinking of all the practical applications for this and like not all the warfare ones you know like i was thinking like you know you could improve and increase water like get water and then just like hit it with a disc that would make more of it and you know flood a build a lake you know or things like that i mean i just kept thinking of good rather than evil (laughs) um of course you could 
I suppose, throw a disc which would make something bigger onto a bomb and the bomb would become 100 times more powerful, 50 times more powerful, whatever, and there's lots of ways this can go bad, which is why Hank Pym is hiding the technology to begin with. I did enjoy that line where he says, I think we should call the Avengers. Oh, yeah, I was thinking that. Like, it's great how they at least address it. Yeah. Because in um, one of the things in Captain America 2 and it was such a big thing at the end you just like just call them the Avengers you really need their help you know but um, it's great how they dress in this he goes why don't we just call them the Avengers man I can't do this you know <laughs> do you know Michael Douglas has uh, only acted in 57 films he's oh, right. 70 years old yeah there have just been so many good ones. <laughs> yeah, I think he must be picky about his projects. He must do one or two a year. Like, I hope he, we see more of him in the Avengers universe. I have a feeling he'll just be in this one-off sort of thing. I think he'll thing. be in one more and be killed off. Sure, yeah. He, there has to be a toll to these things um, in terms of a body count. They nearly killed him off in this one. As you sort of introduce these these people, they have to have villains who can kill their loved ones or there has to be stakes people have to be able to die and so you kill these minor characters you know the uncle ben in spider-man type of thing uh that don't change the story because there's still good and evil bad guys and good guys still live it just changes the stakes you know that you've now killed my loved one you know uh so i think unfortunately michael douglas is expendable in this and unfortunately uh you know they can can kill him off in probably ant-man and the wasp well they've built him up well enough so when he does die he will be missed he'll be like oh (laughs) yeah for sure and obviously that'll affect hope evangeline lily's character even more because she um you know it's it's her dad just to put that in perspective 57 films ben affleck has done over 60 so he's you know he's still a young man (laughs) yeah uh and i think Perhaps, you know, they're getting churned out a bit more than when they were when Michael Douglas was a younger man. But, uh, yeah. Do you um, do you foresee Ant-Man joining the Avengers? Well, I, that's the direction they're going to go. So they I'm, I'm to, just going to have to assume he is. Probably the Wasp will join too, because what use is Evangeline Lily's character? She's dating him, essentially, by the end of the film. There's that scene where they're making out. I feel like when he joins the Avengers, it'll be non-stop comedy. I think you'll probably get a really hilarious script because he'll be like, oh, don't worry about me, you know, like, and Iron Man calling him the little guy or, like, Shrinky Man or, like, Shrinky It's, it's a delicate blend once you start doing that. You have all these um, people fighting for the funniest line because I watched um, Age of Ultron again and one of, that's one of the major things that got me is just everyone has a witty line, a witty mm. comeback. It just got so annoying mm. and it killed off a lot of the drama and you... One of the things, again, going back to John Ford, John Ford's really good at having a funny scene than having a serious moment. It really puts the audience not on edge, but really, you know, brings out a great rea- greater reaction from the audience. If everything's a joke, then where's the hard-hitting moments, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, I think um, Ant-Man did a really good blend of that. It just had really funny moments and just really serious moments between Michael Douglas and his daughter, how much he misses his wife um, that's gone, how much um, Paul Rudd misses his daughter. And then, of course, we're having that moment between the main villain, um, uh, the Yellow Jacket, and how he was never... Why did Michael Douglas never select him? Mm. And he goes, because I saw too much of myself in you. And that's like this abandoned child sort of thing that is grown up angry. So there were some really good serious moments in Ant-Man that really... um, you know made this into a solid movie i think marvel did a very good job it's interesting it's opening weekend is the lowest marvel movie ever but yet it still generated a lot of money and i think that that's credit to the film because ant-man came out people weren't press ant-man who's that it's not a thor it's not a hulk it's not you know captain america but by word of mouth people go no it's actually pretty good you know and then so many people went to see it and it generated a lot of money so credit to that film (laughs) i mean we're releasing this podcast really after the fact and i think that's because and you know i didn't rush to see it you didn't rush to see it and you say you wish you saw it in 3d but we're here now we didn't i felt like it's the kind of movie that you can put off which i think a lot of people thought they saw the trailer and they went oh yeah another marvel movie cool i will check it out eventually i will see it on dvd and blu-ray like we're seeing it now uh, we will fill in the blanks. We will get the whole story. We'll know who Ant-Man is by the time the next Avengers movie comes out. 
but no one felt like they needed to rush and see this at the cinema. And it's it's just to showcase how spoiled we are in this day and age. Like, I would have loved a movie to for the like this to have come out in the late nineties. You know, I would have went, "Wow, this is amazing!" Because I loved Blade, you know, and all those Marvel like all those Marvel movies, those (laughs) very little Marvel movies that we had, pretty much non-existent. You know, so I I think Ant Man's a very good film. It's just sandwiched in between these epic monster. Um, comic book movies that are coming out and the stage that all these movies are fighting for now is a massive one you know it's just this big fat stage and we're so spoiled so I think we should cherish and not celebrate I don't want to go that far but we should just go accept it you know just don't be so critical on Ant-Man it was a fun movie it was good check it out (laughs) sure but why couldn't they just put cameras on the ants and he control them from a distance (laughs) I don't understand (laughs) Cameras on the Earths. That's what Michael Douglas was doing. He had them break into prison, deliver him the Ant-Man suit. They can clearly do things from a distance. You don't always need someone there to be like the Queen Ant giving direction. Look, I'm fine. It's a, it was a fine <laughs> film. Yeah, there's many moments, as, uh, as you said, that, that technology they introduced was so interesting that it actually brought your mind out of the movie to your thinking of other uses for yeah. it. Well, yeah, that's always a pitfall when you have something like that. But you got a time machine, man. Just go back and shoot him while he's in the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was interesting they kept the giant ant at the end. The family. <laughs> the family cat. Oh, as a pet. Yeah, now, do you think that's the daughter's pet like she's got a dog now she has a giant ant or do you think that the giant ant came to dinner with scott lang because he's got a giant ant as ant-man like he rides a giant ant if you will <laughs> it's hard to really place i hope the giant ant doesn't feature it anymore and it's just like a one-off <laughs> yeah kind one-off of joke. joke same yeah uh, i looked up the character of scott lang you know ant-man i'd never read an ant-man comic um and apparently he dates uh, jessica jones for a while and that's marvel's latest on netflix you know that they're introducing a new daredevil as you know and and jessica jones through netflix and that's another way they're bringing up these characters you know who people can then revisit this series and and fill in blanks if you had jessica jones uh the actress that plays it in the next ant-man movie people go oh cool who's she oh go refer to that at the beginning of this film they had peggy carter you know who you wouldn't have necessarily known at the beginning of the film um as well scott lang's ant-man uh he interacts with all the avengers and spoilers for the death of scott lang in the comic books which may not result the same in the movies uh he's killed by scarlet witch along with hawkeye and vision and sort of that all implies something that could easily happen in the coming films and i think depending on the popularity of ant-man you know you keep him as long as you can but uh, people only sign on for so many movies, you know, and the way they can leave is either through, you know, one door or the other, really. They leave heroically. Freeze them in carbonite and then lock them away. And then they might, you know, if they if the actor wants to come back, he could just unfreeze them. Yeah. Yeah, the actors would, uh, would appreciate it. I mean, you remember Daniel Craig saying Bond took his whole, like he's done one other film around his other Bond movies, you know, like... It just sucks all of his time and he's not available to do anything else. And that's sort of, I hope it doesn't, but it seems like the case with Marvel, except that they pay better. That seems like the Marvel movies give you so much money that you don't care if you do anything else. And Chris Hemsworth has been a really good example of doing things around the Thor movies. He did Rush and he's done In the Heart of the Sea, as well as Black Hat around being Thor. As well, he's got comedies coming out. He's in the was in the vacation reboot you know in smaller role he's also in a small role in and Ghostbusters Christopher Nolan as well kept a very healthy attitude when he did the Batman series um he did a movie in between each one yeah um the prestige um in- inception and he just had a healthy a healthier aspect like it took longer for each film to come out in between mm. but his mind was just really healthy <laughs> because of it I was just wondering do you think in Ant-Man in the sequel uh Hank will be looking for his wife do you think they've sown the seeds of that? He's sort of thinking it couldn't be, you know, about going subatomic. Seems like it would be impossible to find her. You would have to be in the location where the bomb went, you know, where she went subatomic. Like, you would never be able to get to that exact spot 
and go subatomic there. Like, he should never be able to find her. It's weird how he kept that secret from his daughter. Like, yeah. why not just tell her this is what happened? Uh, she went subatomic, you know, and she's still out there, you know, just... I mean... I thought, I thought that was just a weird moment. Just like, why would you tell her? His daughter's so well-trained. She's yeah. such a me- mentally strong person. Well, maybe they weren't close until this film. Because yeah, that's she a good point. Him, yeah. I mean, she kicked him off the board and stuff. He probably didn't trust her until recently. And then it is weird that it's like, oh, yeah, I liked this guy better than you. There's a real, like, oh, you know, son I never had about Darren Cross. And then he sort of takes more of a liking to Scott. Interesting. Uh, I read, but he's been watching him for years as well. Uh, yeah, that's true. I, I read that Hank Pym's character got, like, multiple personalities and, like, was abusive to his wife. And there was, like, a very dark kind of Ant-Man which is why they started with Paul Rudd's. Yeah, and as you say, because um, obviously Iron Man's having a, a massive mental toll on um, Tony Stark, and, and you can see that through. You can see that evolution throughout his whole films. It's definitely that layer there, and I'd like to see that in Ant Man, um, definitely. Which I hope Paul Rudd, Rudd does well, rather than struggle with, because he's more comedic, in my opinion. The serious films he's done, I haven't been too impressed with. I mean, I'm more of a fan of his comedy, which I think is why Ant-Man works. It's light. Usually comedians transition very well when they have to do the serious role, so I'm, I'm hopeful he does. Mm. Fingers crossed. Um, we will be looking ahead in the Marvel Universe. I can't see us not reviewing the next appearance of Ant-Man, which is Captain America Civil War. We haven't got any DC films no. into our canon, have we? I can't think... Oh, no, we did Superman, Man of Steel. Man of Steel. Yeah, we did Man of Steel. And we, we, we're not Marvel guys. We, we, we love all comic book movies, you know. that We're just... Again, I say this in every comic book movie podcast that we've done. We grew up in an age where there wasn't that many. You know, Blade was, like, one of the best ones, I think. And that's it, really. And the so original now... original Batman. The original... Of, of course, the original great <laughs> Batmans and the original Supermans were great as well. But we didn't have as many now. And I'm really enjoying this time. I'm really loving it. So, um, you know, bring them on. I, I want to see The Dawn of Justice. I want to see Ant-Man 2. I want to see Avengers 3. Sure. Um, Avengers Part 3, Part 1, and Part 2, because it's split, unfortunately. While they're going good, you know, because they don't make westerns anymore, and I love westerns. Oh, Hateful Eight is mm. coming out, I should, should say that. But I can go back and watch all those western movies by John Ford and really enjoy them all by Sergio Leone. This is the age of comic book movies, and it'll probably... I don't know when it'll start dipping. Mm. Um, when That's the crash the will come. When that, will the bubble burst? When will the bubble burst, you know? And they're building this up so well. You know, maybe after Thanos, if they screw that whole back battle up it'll be downhill pretty fast you know Inhumans 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 is coming and oh, okay. that's another unknown quantity people may or may not embrace it Black Panther is coming they gotta be careful not to oversaturate but Miss Marvel Miss but my attitude is we did a whole podcast on the fate where everyone's headed where all the movies are headed and things like that it's a bit dated now because obviously they change things and everything like that but you know while the going is good uh, my attitude is let's just take this in and enjoy it while it's here because eventually it'll go away nothing it's not going to stay around forever this isn't the the last chapter of cinema there's going to be more and more you know there's going to be definitely another run but definitely comic book movies will come to an end but while we have it here let's let's just enjoy it <laughs> and if you haven't seen it man obviously we've ruined it for you but um <laughs> we think it was fun you know check it out and as well we did cover on the dc terms we did cover batman christian bale's final turn as batman oh of course yes we of course yeah, yeah. As well. so we're not being marvelous <laughs> Uh, and we did try not to put a lot of ant jokes like this was a fantastic film you know <laughs> Ugh, so many ant jokes the the box the dvd case it's just covered in like ant oh jokes. really <laughs> yeah uh, i thought it was a great little movie and and besides the science which i ignored some of it a lot of people have problems with that but um i think paul rudd's a likable guy and they address that in um there's a film called they came together with amy poehler and they talk about how he's just Jewish enough that this demographic likes him. And he, <laughs> he's sort of, you know, handsome leading man type. And he can sort of get away with a lot. So it's, he's really like an average guy who's handsome enough, you know, and likable enough and like ticks a lot of boxes. You know, uh, when you need a Caucasian lead, 
Paul Rudd's been doing it for years, you know. I'm just so impressed they pulled this movie off because when I heard the title, because I'd never heard of Ant-Man before, and I am a comic book fan, but obviously not that hardcore. And when I saw the trailers, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can see how this works, but it just sounded so stupid. Mm. And then when I saw the movie, I'm like, this is great. <laughs> you know, in terms of... I was talking before about the the energy, like the Pym particle and all that sort of stuff. I don't know how many kind of... how much the yellow suit was shooting like those electrical blasts. I don't know how much like a power pack. Yeah, or, that's a good point. He was what shooting is it? those yeah. forever. Like we got it's gonna no run ex- out of ammunition. Didn't yeah. seem to. <laughs> didn't seem to. Didn't need to. He was shooting that through people. So like the pilots and stuff in the helicopter just get killed because it zaps them. It's not a taser. It's not like it's killing people. Like it's like a laser. But I don't know what was powering that. We got no explanation of that. That's amazing. Anyway. Well, what powers Iron Man's suit when he fires all his fire? That, well, that ring around his chest. That's yeah. a power source, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Because that's keeping him alive for a while. Yeah. Whatever it is, it wasn't powerful enough to kill um, Captain America when he got shot. We talked on and on about that in Age of Ultron, how people get shot by those lasers and they'd go, oh, and he just like, oh, I thought it would blow a hole through them, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the the powers of superheroes are convenient for when they need to be. They're really powerful when they need to beat a big bad guy, and they're not so powerful when you just need to win. In one. fact, in Age of Ultron, the only time Ultron was actually effective is when he um, stole um, a ship and he fired. Fighter jet, yeah. He, yeah, fighter jet, and he fired and killing Quicksilver. Sorry, spoilers for Avengers two if you haven't seen it. Um, and that's the only time when Ultron was actually effective, which is just such a plot hole. It's just like, wow, that guy is the architect of his body. He can design his body anything, and all his firepower can't kill him. <laughs> I know. There's a whole podcast about Age of Ultron, though. We've already delved very deep into that. You can find it in our back catalogue. You can find all the podcasts from us at www.podmeifyoucan.com. And uh, feel free to send us your film requests. There's links on our Facebook page, I suppose, to our Facebook page from the website. And uh, we do try and get to requests from listeners. So if you guys have a film you think we should check out or an obscure film with a famous star you think we should review for our YouTube channel, hit us up, let us know, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Hit it. For listening, please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Pod me if you can. Movie reviews.